Women's Tech Radio, episode 15. A show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they are successful in technology careers. Today, Paige, I would like to know, do you spend more time on your computer or your mobile device? Um, I actually spend probably, it's, uh, I probably spend more time on my computer simply because I'm on there programming all day. Um, but like on the weekend and stuff, I almost rarely open my computer even to look things up or it's, I spend a lot of time on my iPhone and I don't really, well, I use my tablet to read, but that's about it. But I spend a lot of time on my iPhone. Hmm. Well, I have, yeah, I have an iPhone, an iPad and a, and a computer. And I think I spend a decent amount on my computer, but because I have three kids that I chase after often and have to get to the bus stop and things like that, I am on my phone a lot, like a lot, a lot. Yeah, I was really surprised actually when I got um, my phone um, because I actually had an iPad before I had a smartphone and I was really surprised at how much time I even spent on my phone because before I'd moved from like spending time on the computer to spending time on the tablet and then I went from tablet to phone even mm-hmm. because it's that it's like you know what's the best camera is the one you have always have with you it's what's your best portal to the internet it's the one you always have with you right right well i um i actually got an app called my data manager so that i could see how much data i use and i use a lot on wi-fi thank goodness for wi-fi because my cell phone bill would be so ridiculous i looked mine up earlier this month and i had done over 40 gigabytes on wi-fi so today we talked to liz heidner she is a experienced designer at Substantial. Um, and we kind of chat with her about what that means and what that looks like, uh, people that she looks up to, and uh, what she kind of sees changing in the world of design and the web and mobile right now. And before we get into the interview, I want to talk about Ting. If you go to wtr.ting.com, you can sign up for Ting Mobile Service. It is mobile that makes sense because there are no contracts, no early termination fees, and no add-on charges. They don't charge you extra for voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, or other features that you typically see other cell phone providers charging you for. It is a flat rate and you pay for what you use, only for what you use. If you use WTR.ting.com, you can bring over your own device and save $25 on your first month's bill, or you can get $25 off buying a device from Ting.com and they just have them right there. Just go to the website and do the savings calculator Find out how much you're going to save. I guarantee that in the first or second month, you will pay off whatever phone or device that you bring over if you if you need to get one to get on to Ting. Like it is, it is going to be so much savings for you. Use WTR.Ting.com. And we started today's interview with Liz by asking her what her position is at Substantial and to kind of explain to us what an experienced designer is. an experienced designer. I work at a tech company called Substantial. Um, And what that means is that I work on both the visual and the user experience of a digital product. Um, A lot of times for us that means websites, but it can also mean iOS apps. Um, We've done Android apps as well. Um, And it also can mean hardware related things that have a software interface. So it's not just websites. Um, That's kind of the, the basic version of what we do. What is it? So what is an experienced designer? Like, what are you, what are you designing? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so for example, if you were to go to uh, Google maps, um, there is an interface there. You see the map, you have your search box, you have your, your controls to zoom in and out. And when you use Google maps, that, that entire process is an experience. And so I kind of 
when we get a new client, um, it's my job to help think through that entire experience. The first thing that you see, your first interaction with the product, um, you know, UI changes that might happen, uh, that kind of entire, it's not just about making something pretty, it's also about really making sure that we kind of evoke the right emotion um, when you are using the product, which usually most companies don't want to make their users angry so or frustrated. So generally it's making sure that the, the experience feels as seamless and as easy as possible. Um, but there are, are other parts to it too. And, and that is like the visual design, making sure we're in line with the branding, if there is branding or helping the company choose a direction for the branding if they're a startup. So would you say that fits under kind of the common moniker of UX? Yeah, it does. I'm a little bit hesitant to, to use that description only because I don't, in the, in the same way that I'm hesitant to, to call myself a visual designer. Um, I think we are in an era now of design and product, especially for the digital world, and we can really thank Apple for this. Um, but you can't put things in a silo because they are so interconnected. Um, you've got your user experience design, which a lot of people think is just like the wireframes or it's the product strategy in terms of how a user might go through a flow. Um, but you know, the, the visual side of that has such a huge impact on the actual experience itself that a user has that you can't totally separate those two from each other. So what do you use for tools to do visual design? Like, are you a Photoshop maven or like, do you do a lot of HTML and scripting? Or are you mostly like drawing on whiteboards? Yeah, um, we usually start out a lot with sketches and, um, you know, wireframe style sketches, or I'll, I'll call them gray boxing. So, you, you know, you have your wireframes, but then you might fill in um, rather than using squiggly lines, you'll, you'll actually kind of gray box out the, the header text versus like body text if there's if it's a page with a lot of text. Um, and then we move from there. It kind of depends on the project. If we have a client that needs um, you know, to be seeing the design as we go, then then a lot of times we'll, we'll go into Photoshop or Illustrator. Um, but a lot of what we're trying to do now is actually stop that because taking a design from Photoshop and actually implementing it onto the web, there's a lot of things that just aren't one-to-one. -one. You can't actually interact with a Photoshop file and see what that that interaction is going to be like. And so we try now when clients are comfortable with it, never actually getting beyond sketches before we start actually developing it and designing it in the browser. Um, and I am not the greatest at HTML, CSS. I can do it, but I'm quite slow. Um, so usually for me, that means I'm pairing with a developer, sitting side by side, giving them kind of some guidance about what I'm thinking and what we're trying to figure out for the interaction. And they are actually doing the work um, and that sounds really inefficient, but it's pretty close to actually how substantial works overall on the development side where they do development pairs. And there's there's some pretty cool philosophy behind that. Some of that is um, the idea that by pairing, you can solve problems faster because you've got two people breaking down the problem with different backgrounds and different experience levels, but it also helps then reduce any kind of uh, isolation of knowledge where one person is the knowledge keeper for a project. Um, and we've seen that be really successful on projects. And now we're doing it between developers and designer pairs and it's, it's working out pretty well. That's really cool. It's like person-based dual core processing and hyper-threading. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a really, like, it's a very, very techy, nerdy way to, yes. to look at it. But it's, it's true. Like, you've got two different uh, minds breaking down the problem and tackling it and overcoming it. 
Mm-hmm. So, awesome. So did you did you kind of set out on your journey to become a professional when you were like, I want to be a designer? Was that your goal or? Oh man, yes, but no, but kind of. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I wanted to go to fine art school. Uh, my parents put the kibosh on that pretty quickly and, and said I'd have to figure out how to fund that on my own. And it turns out going to an actual private art school is incredibly expensive. Um, and so I didn't do that. Uh, I thought I was kind of being sneaky and I went to school to study creative advertising. And so for that, that's not the marketing side. It's really like the actual creation of advertising coming up with like the big idea, that kind of thing. Um, and that was kind of how I got like my design work in to what I thought was going to be my career. Uh, and that's actually really where I first got interested in kind of the, the idea of being an experienced designer. Um, Turns out I hate advertising, the actual making of it. So didn't do that. Um, but the the idea that you need to be creating a kind of a whole experience when a consumer uses your product or is experiencing your advertising, you need to be thinking about every aspect of that experience. That really stuck with me. Um, and that's kind of what got me towards where I was going. Um, and then when I graduated, I ended up doing just a lot of after I had an internship at an ad agency that made me miserable, mm-hmm. um, I, I started doing a lot of freelance web design work because that's what I was getting and contract work through um, a staffing agency. And I just decided to kind of go full on that way because I was enjoying that a lot more. Right. Well, so. the advertising classes that you took seemed to be a very good backbone for where you're at today. Yeah. You know, they taught me a lot about um problem solving and maybe taking a non-traditional way of looking at something, um, kind of advertising. A really good example of this is actually the Skittles campaign, if you're familiar with any of the work that Skittles has ever done in the last like 10 years. I've been eating Skittles for the last week. I know that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's very quirky, very like out there. They've got like unicorns and Skittle trees and, and things like that. And that was, that actually came from um, a really long night. I forget what agency did that. I think they pulled an all-nighter. They had no ideas. And so they just kind of put together a f- scrapbook of things that remind them of the fun memories that they had while eating sk- Skittles as a kid. Um, and that kind of like just created this entire multi-year campaign for Skittles about how quirky fun they are. And it's really worked out for well for them. And so I think there are a lot of things that we can learn from that and incorporate in our our digital products. Um, if you think about Airbnb, for example, they're really great at uh, kind of evoking this feeling of wonderlust. Um, yes. I just only recently got into Airbnb and it is the coolest thing ever. I think I will never stay at a regular hotel ever again. Oh man, I'm so an yeah. Airbnb junkie. Yeah. I use it all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and part of that is just, you know, they are very careful about how they do their design. And Except it's not, for their logo design. Yes, except for that. That was a huge debacle and super <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> but in terms of their like actual digital product, they're very careful about um, measuring what is working and learning from what's not working and making sure they understand their users. And that's that's a lot of what I try and do as well in my job. So Liz, do you find it like helpful? I, I, I have a lot of designer friends and I think that some of them, especially if they come from a more traditional art background, like you were kind of heading towards, like they, they've kind of been like clawing tooth and nail against like wrapping things like like A-B testing like Airbnb is doing or wrapping big data into their design. Like how have you managed to kind of, it sounds like you've kind of embraced that and incorporated that. Like, was that difficult for you at first or? No, to me, it's always kind of made a lot of sense. I mean, um, 
It's, it's the idea of form, fun, form and function, kind of being in a happy marriage together. Like you can make something that's absolutely beautiful and completely useless. Um, and so like what purpose does that serve, especially in our field? If you, if you are a fine artist and you're doing digital art, then I think that's a totally different totally different thing. But um, in, in our world of, of digital products, that it just doesn't make sense to not incorporate that. Now that said, I think a lot of people fall into the kind of the trap, especially if they're using, doing user interviews um, and research of asking their user base what they want or sending out a survey and asking for what features they want. Um, and that's just kind of, that's it's a trap. Uh, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's totally a trap. Um, that's, that's also market research 101, right? Like people don't actually know what they want. They think they know what they want or they think they know what they need. But really what you have to come back to is identifying what problem they are actually having and figuring out what solution is right based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole, that I th- it gets quoted way too often, but the the faster horse thing from Ford is a great example. If, you know, if you'd ask people, they'd, they'd say a faster horse. Well, yeah, that's, that's terrible. That's not the right answer at all. But that's what people would have said. Um, and so I think you can get a lot of experiences as a designer where you've got some researcher at the company or some strategist at the company saying, hey, this is what people are saying, what they want, or project manager even. Um, and the reality is that sucks because that's totally wrong. And, and so you end up designing something that is also not great. Yeah, there's actually a really awesome story about um, Microsoft from this one where they did this giant interview set before they released... Um, office 2010 where they were like okay what do our users want and they got back their server survey results and over 90 percent of the asks for features were things that were already included in microsoft office yep yeah and so they just did this giant campaign and everyone kind of hated it at first but it just to make everything more apparent of what the features were and everything so it was like really kind of having to flip that on its head and being like oh we were already doing all this stuff why do you not know about it Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Another great one is um, Google+. Plus. Uh, they tested it among their own employees. Well, their em- employees have a very special uh, set of skills already built in because they're in the tech industry. And so when, in terms of being a social media thing, Google+, Plus was actually awful for the general population. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still use it. And it is, it's really interesting because it is my most um, tech-oriented group of people that that follow me in my circles or whatever but it is it it is give and take it's yeah it's, Bar, barring hangouts which i love mm-hmm. i don't really use g plus at all even being a tech person yeah yeah same i don't although i've i've definitely lessened the frequency that i use facebook as well so i don't know that there's really a perfect social media out there do you use twitter by chance i do not regularly what but i do what is your twitter handle um, Lixel Art. It's <laughs> L-I-X-E-L-A-R-T. Liz plus pixel art, basically. So as a as a experienced designer, are there other experienced designers or experienced design that you really look up to? Yeah, oh man. There is a lot happening in the web design world. Um, that I think is pretty awesome. And even people who are a little bit more traditional, um, I think Jessica Hish, she's a typographer out of New York. Um, her work is amazing and she's a great example, I think, of a more traditional designer who's really embraced the best of what her skill set allows, um, digital tools. 
So she's designed her own website. She now teaches classes on typography, both in person and online. Um, but she also recognizes her own limitations, right? So um, I think there's this kind of push right now for a lot of younger designers or designers who are in school to become what is horrifically called a unicorn, someone who can both be a, an excellent visual designer as well as a UX designer, as well as an everything researcher, as well as a programmer. And that's kind of insane, right? Oh, you, you mean so they don't exist. That's why they're called unicorns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you can't actually be that amazing at all of those things. That's that's just too much. You'd be spending so much time of your day learning how to be better at those things. You wouldn't actually get any work done. Right. So uh, no family, no friends. Was that part exactly. of it too? No eating, no <laughs> sleeping. Just a shit yeah. In <laughs> on some kind of really terrible drug so that you can <laughs> just not ever stop. <laughs> Good veins for the IV. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, there's some of that push in in the developer community too, where we're seeing a lot of push to be like a full stack developer. Like you should know everything from deployment down to the HTML, CSS, and be able to you know speak design as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's a trap too. Mm -hmm. But what I do like about what's happening in the web design world is that there's kind of a recognition that, you know, you probably should have a basic understanding of, of both sides if you're a designer. You know, the obviously, if yeah. you are a designer, you should be a good designer, but you should have a good understanding of how HTML works, how CSS interacts with HTML, how JavaScript can um, can change both of those things dramatically. And, and all of that. And so that, I think that's actually great. You know, your, your skill set and your, your actual craftsman, craftsman ability um, is more valued than kind of your buzzwords that are on the resume, which, I mean, that's that's always going to be something. Buzzwords are a thing and they happen, industry trends, et cetera. Um, but I'd love to get back to a place where we're working with front-end developers who are really amazing at finessing the details of the front-end experience and back-end developers who are really amazing at crafting the most efficient, most excellent uh, usable API or database or, you know, what have you so that we can meld those things as as best as possible. I think when we when you try and force people to do a little bit of everything, you you get what you're asking for, right? You're getting a little bit of everything but no expertise in anything. Right. Yeah, right. I, I agree. I think that you know, especially the way that you guys are doing it with pairing with developers. I think mm -hmm. when I get my most outstanding projects when I get to sit down with a designer and say, yes, that's possible. No, that's not possible. And I'm like, oh, I wish it could do, it could look like this. And they're like, well, that totally works. Or like, no page, that's a pipe dream. Like we just have yeah. that, that meld of like both our expertise. And we both have some understanding of, of what is possible in the grand sense, like understanding that, you know, there's only so much I can do with HTML and CSS. But yeah, and I think substantial is pretty interesting in that, uh, you know, a year ago, I think we were looking to hire designers that could be unicorns. And now we've just decided that those people don't exist, which I think is good because we were not successfully hiring anyone when we were trying to hire a unicorn because, again, they don't exist. Um, and we've we've changed tactics a little bit. And now we've we've actually started a, kind of an initiative internally where we're, we're pairing designers with developers and giving some designers um, time within the business week to learn a little bit more about coding. So, um, for example, we get we we work hourly. Um, so we're we're supposed to have a certain number of hours that our client work, um, just kind of like a lawyer lawyer might, which sounds awful, but uh, it works out well for us. Um, instead, now we're we're giving some of the designers permission to use some of that time rather than than for paid work 
for um, learning a little bit more about development. And the idea is that it's not that they will become developers um, or they won't become the unicorns, but kind of just adding another tool set that they can use a little bit more efficiently than, than what's possible right now. And we're, we're just doing it with people who are interested. Not every designer here is interested in doing that. I think that's okay too. So is that something you're pursuing? I am actually, although I haven't spent as much time on it in the last two weeks as I should because I just switched projects. So my focus is a little bit elsewhere. Um, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that I'm most interested in learning how to do better is tell stories online. I think that's um, with tools like Medium and things like that, we're, we're getting back into Maptia, or Maptia, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, is a, is a pretty cool tool um, for sharing stories. And I think there's there's still some work left to, to be more creative in how we show and tell those stories. You know, in Women's Tech Radio number eight, we interviewed Annie, and she does the storybook illustrations for for her company, uh, Rethink DB, mm-hmm. and that that might be something just to look at or listen to that interview because she she literally does the design and she's learned the the terms and lingo of technology over time because she's working with these people trying to turn their concepts into art, and she does some really great storybooks for for her company. Yeah, I will absolutely look into that. Is there anything um, you're using to teach yourself? Are you just kind of working with some of your developers, searching online? I am reviewing my HTML and CSS knowledge by going through the Code Academy program um, and also doing General Assembly's Dash. Um, but I've, I've already got a, a basic knowledge there. And so to learn some JavaScript, because that's really where I'm weakest, um, I've installed Git, and that's a little bit scary, but fun. Um, and I'm trying to go through the JS cones on GitHub and do those exercises. Yeah, a little bit challenging for me still. I think there's, I've taken a CS class in college and you know, very minor reading of it online, um, but there's something about the logic that I'm still not quite, quite getting yet, but I'll get there. So Liz, the last question that I always like to ask is uh, what gets you fired up right now about technology? What's going on in user design? We've talked a little bit about that. So maybe like something else that's kind of piqued your interest. Oh, that's tough. Um, There was a blog post that went out a little bit ago about, um, you know, what are, what's the purpose of an iPad or tablet anymore now that we have these giant screens? And I, I get the concept, but, um, and the reason why that question is being asked, I think that's very centric on one type of user, specifically, are you know, our younger generation, younger being under 40, um, who is tech savvy. Um, what that, that blog post completely ignores is that there's a whole nother group of people who are now using tablets, specifically seniors, um, because you can do so much more on them. You can increase the size, you can go into accessibility mode and increase all the text size and not have it be awful. Um, and so seniors are actually using iPads now. That there's a, a bigger adoption among seniors, not, not huge, um, for things like uh, using a Kindle app or actually using a on an actual Kindle or uh, another Android tablet or an iOS um, device. They're using it because they can control the contrast and the text size. Yeah, and I'm, I would love, there's um, a really cool thing, a program out of Brazil now um, that is connecting students trying to practice their English with 
seniors living in a, a senior center in the Chicago area, and it's basically a, like a controlled Skype portal. So it connects two groups that would never otherwise be able to talk, and it's, it's based on tablets. Thank you, Liz, for joining us today. And if you'd like to check out the show notes, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and find the latest episode of Women's Tech Radio. There's also a contact form that you can drop down and send an email response directly to our show or any of the other shows on Jupiter Broadcasting. And you can email us, WTR, at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at HeyWTR. Reach out if you've got anyone you'd like us to interview or anything that you'd like to say for the show. Um, Also, don't forget to add us on iTunes, and if you have a moment, feel free to fill out a review.